0: Hello, and welcome to episode 74 of Lockdown Canadians, where myself and my co-host are going to mail it in about as much as the Canadians did on Wednesday night against the Chicago Blackhawks. I am, of course, I am Scott Matla, and I am joined, as always, by the active stick, Laura Saba. Laura, are you as despondent over that game as I am, or am I just being overly dramatic again?
1: (laughs) Well, I promise not to mail in, and I've got some feelings that I want to talk about later in the show. But I am disappointed. I'm not despondent. I am disappointed.
0: Yeah, it it was the kind of game that we, when we talked about it in our preview episode, that this is the kind of game that Montreal needed to win. It it snaps their two-game win streak, and... The thing about this game compared to any of the other ones they've lost recently, it just didn't look like there was any effort coming at all outside of anyone, you know, not named Ilya Kovalchuk and Charlie Lindgren. And the the effort on the ice just seemed non-existent. Passes didn't have any oomph behind them. Players just seemed to kind of be going through the motions. And I don't know why. It, it's not the first time we've seen it this year. And again, even more frustrating, it was against a team playing on a back-to-back again. And for the life of me, I can't figure out why this keeps happening to the Canadians in these kind of games this year.
1: I think context matters. I feel like I've been saying that so much lately. So forgive me for repeating myself, but I do think that context matters in this game. If they weren't, if they didn't have that the record that they currently did, if let's say they were comfortably sitting in playoff position and if they didn't have to win every game that they could. So the magic number or whatever you want to call it uh, is now they have to win 25 games still. And they can't lose more than nine games. And that's if they want to have a shot at the playoffs. It's not a guarantee. It's a if they want to have a shot. But if that were not the case, if the Canadians were having a really great season, the one that I truly would have expected them to have, and we're going to talk a little bit more about their underlying numbers, but if it were anything like the underlying numbers would indicate then we would just be sitting here just being like slightly annoyed that the Canadians were having a bad night we all have a bad day at work we would have been like this is their bad day at work but unfortunately they're in a position where they need every single point they can get I'm not ready to throw in the towel yet you know I think um I think the all-star break and the return of at the very least uh Paul Byron and uh Jonathan Drouin I think those should be the markers I think that's when we should truly make a decision right now and and that's not to say we can't talk about who the Habs should be selling and what they should be selling them for but I think that it you know at this at this time this was a disappointing night and the I think it's fair for us as fans to be disappointed but I would hope that the team themselves uh like don't get down on themselves because they've got another game in about what, like eighteen hours? Give uh, or take, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In Philadelphia. Like they need to and the the lucky thing is Philadelphia is currently playing in St. Louis. So they're both going to be on a back-to-back. They're both going to have traveled. They're both kind of struggling in certain areas. So I think that, you know, the Canadians do have a chance to win that game, but they really need to forget about the Well, not forget about the game. They need to, like, take a look at, at all the mistakes that they've made. And they were all really dumb mistakes. I mean, how many giveaways were there? There were at least two penalties that didn't have to exist at all, right? Max Domi, I'm talking to you. Um, and then, like, anytime there's a too-many-men penalty, it's usually, it's funny because it's usually the other team, but the fact that the Canadians had one, it's just, I just want to scold them like schoolchildren.
0: Yeah, everything tonight was just a team that didn't seem focused on the game. Max Domi's penalty was absolutely stupid, and... I'm not ex- I'm not going to excuse him. What he did was dumb. The power play goal that was scored afterwards shouldn't have counted because there's a goalie playing without his protective equipment and he almost had his hand stepped on by a half dozen skates. Looks like he got injured on the play and had to try and dive to make a save without some of his protective equipment. And I don't know what the NHL rule is. Like I spent most of the intermission looking for a thing in the NHL rule book and couldn't find it. I can't help but think a goalie playing without his thing that covers his hand to stop him from getting hit with what is essentially a bullet that moves at 90 miles an hour should have been an issue. And it it's just nothing seemed focused like against Calgary. They came out and they were attacking early and they attacked them strong and they were, you know, decisive with what they did in this game. The Drake Cajula goal at the end of the game, the 4-1 goal, where Jordan Wheel got intercepted, they pointed out on the broadcast, Shea Weber and Dale Weiss were in the same area. Jordan Wheel had no outlet pass to make, and as he's waiting for somebody to do something, he, you know, had the puck taken from him and ended up being a goal. Just everything about this game was not like the team we saw, you know, play against the Flames. It was just not... It wasn't what we know this team can do. And it goes back to the fact that they're rested. They played a team that was playing on a back-to-back and just couldn't get anything out of it. And I don't know if they're just missing, you know, their heart and soul guys, if they're really missing Brendan Gallagher as much as like even more than we possibly thought, or if it's, you know, they're run down and they need the, you know, this week off as much as anyone else. It's, I don't know what the factors are, but this team, even with, while it was struggling with Gallagher, showed a lot of fight and everything, this team that played tonight was not the same team. They were listless. They were impotent on the ice. There wasn't anything to their game that made me think they were going to win.
1: There are a couple points that I do want to make, though. I think Charlie Lindgren, and this this is something that I need to stop doing, is I need to stop scrolling and trolling the internet when I'm watching a hockey game, because people were very mean to Charlie Lindgren. And and the guy did his best. He didn't get any support up front. That's one. Two, like you pointed out, the Jordan Wheel thing, you know, he got a lot of blame for that. And then you look and it's like, well, this team's forgotten how to play hockey again, especially on the back end. And then another thing that I want to say is that It's very tempting to be like, all right, it's time to start the tank. It's time to start the tank. I, you know, I understand why people would say that, but you're still gonna, you know, we've talked about it before. Like players don't play to lose. They play to win and tanking is kind of a pipe dream at the moment. So if it organically happens that they lose a bunch of games from between now and the lottery, great. But if it doesn't happen, I don't think that we should be upset about it. I think that, you know it's just kind of like the way things tend to play out especially on on a team. Like there are good players on this team. There's there's a good team mentality. There there's a lot of pride in hockey and sports. It's very rare that you find teams lose on purpose. And so I think it's just I, I don't think that it's fair to expect them to tank. I and and I am, you know, fully in agreement with people who are disappointed with the overall team effort tonight. But I'm not. I'm not. I don't want to throw any blame on on Charlie Lindgren at all. I don't think that he was the issue.
0: No, I don't think he was at all either. I mean, he had the giveaway on the first goal, which is again, though, no one was communicating, and he doesn't know where he's going with the puck. Thomas Tatar just kind of skates behind him. But I, it was just a you know calamity of errors that all you know happened at once after a winning streak in – it's just one of those tough games to watch that, like you said, if this was a team that was comfortably in a playoff spot and I would just kind of go, ah, well, you know, that sucked. Instead, it's a team that's fighting to avoid, you know, being in a really bad spot and they put that effort out. It stings, uh, just a little bit more. And obviously there's a ton of questions facing this team going forward. And speaking of questions, our mailbag episode will be Friday as it always is. We want your questions, and we know there's going to be plenty of them going forward, especially after this week, I'm sure. If you have questions, hit us up at LO underscore Canadians on Twitter uh, with any of your mailbag questions, please, please, please. It's our favorite part about Friday. It doesn't even have to be about hockey. I mean, if it is, cool. If it's not, we're definitely going to get to it one way or the other. But please hit us up with your mailbag questions. Uh, give us something to talk about uh, Friday after Well, yeah, Friday we'll recap the Flyers game and we'll have the mailbag for you going into the weekend to give you something to listen to. But coming up next, we had quite a bit of shocking news around the NHL today in a move that a lot of people seem confused by. Um, We're obviously talking about Vegas and Gerard Gallant, but we'll get into that in our next segment. Today was a little bit strange in that I went to the gym at about 1045 this morning. I get there and I look at my phone and Vegas fired Gerard Gallant in the midst of a four-game losing streak in a move that made myself and most of hockey Twitter stand up and just go, uh, what, why, why would you do that? And... Quite frankly, I still don't understand it. Apparently there were philosophical differences between himself and the management, but the more that gets said from the GM's mouth in Vegas, the less I believe he knows what the hell he's doing and the more that this was some kind of panic move uh, for a bit of adversity. Because Vegas, in the two years they've been in the league, this is their third year now, haven't really faced any sort of adversity that a normal team does. They've been fairly healthy. They've been good. They've been a playoff team. They've been a contender. And then this year, you know, they struggled a little bit and the response is to fire their coach who got them to all these places just a year prior. I I don't really get it.
1: So I'm just going to come right out and say it. I might be proven wrong, but I think this was a massive mistake on the part of Vegas. And the fact is so a lot of people speculated that, oh, you know what? It's just a four-game losing streak. Not only that, like, they had a record that basically, um, you know, like, it, it was amazing <laughs> for, for how they started. They started a little bit coming out of the gate. And Marc-Andre Fleury is not playing very well overall this season. And so for them to, you know, for a four-game losing streak to be considered an adversity-type thing – Truly, like that was very, very odd that that Gallant would get fired. If you look at his overall record in Vegas, you know he he just wanted Jack Adams. Um, but the biggest thing, and I think like you know you you alluded to it, is the vagueness of how they described it. They it just felt like a time to make a change or something like that that the GM said. And to me, and then they kept saying that it wasn't something that he did, that it was performance-based, but his performance was not bad. So it just, it sort of threw like a really bizarre sort of, uh, I guess, light on it. I don't know, a bizarre context. But, you know, at the end of the day, we've talked about it before. One of our guests actually, uh oh my God, it, it's Corey Masysak. I was about to call him Corey Crawford. <laughs> But he um, he 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 said something. He he alluded to it. It's like one of the maxims in hockey. It's like show me the best coach in the league, and I'll show you a goaltender who's having a great season. And show me the worst coach in the league, and I'll show you a goaltender who's having a bad season. And in this case, unfortunately, and I felt so bad because Mark Andre Fleury is beating himself up over it. it. You know the quote that he had. He was like he he blames himself, and he then later said that the team needed to be better or whatever. But the reality is, if your goaltender isn't performing very well, like your job, like you're on the hot seat. But it's just it's it, I just it, I, it seems like a stupid move. I don't know what to say. I'm speechless because it's just it's a stupid move. And it's not only that, but they didn't even like say, OK, well, we're going to have an interim coach. They fired. Um, oh, my God. Mike Kelly.
0: Gerard Gallant.
1: No, but. Gerard Gallant and his his assistant coach. It was Yeah, I'm, they fired yeah. both of them
0: and hired Pete And hired Peter. Deport.
1: That and that's the thing like so they didn't just like they didn't say like okay the assistant coach is going to be the interim coach. They just outright went and hired an inferior coach. <laughs> and so that to me and so Vegas not only made a mistake but now there are all these teams around the league that are going to be in a bidding war for Gallant, Gallant I find because objectively, you know, Seattle would probably be very, very high on that list because he started out with an expansion team and did wondrous things with them. And then, you know, like New Jersey probably is looking at him. I would say, I don't know. And then, you know, San Jose might want to hire him. That would be really funny if he goes to San Jose. There's so many layers to this that, honestly... Vegas's loss is going to be some other team's gain in a big way is my prediction.
0: Yeah, it's just it doesn't make any sense is that someone pointed out that this like Gallant's first two years, Flurry was great, Flurry was great. Flurry was just below average this here and the team couldn't win like they had before. The, all the advanced metrics for Galant's team were extremely good, and to tie this back into Montreal, all of Claude Julian's are good, except for one thing. Both of them aren't getting any help from their goaltenders on the penalty kill, in specific, and it's costing their team's game. Vegas is only three points out of a of first place in the Pacific Division. Not three points out of a playoff spot, not three points back in the wild card, three points out of first place in their division, and they fired their coach. And the reasoning coming from GM Kelly McCrimmon actually kind of made me want to pull my hair out because it's just this vague nonsense that, and I have the quote right here, uh, Vegas GM Kelly McCrimmon on why he cha- he changed coaches. It wasn't a specific block of games. It was more just the feeling that a change might be needed. I wish I could be more specific. You know what? Shh. Shut up and don't say anything then. Say it was performance or lie. Don't say, I had a gut feeling. Because you know what's a really good idea? Taking a playoff team and going with your gut to remove a coach who got you to a Stanley Cup final in your first year. You've got Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty who are great. You've got a good young defensive core with guys like Shay Theodore and Nate Schmidt in it. You've got promising players like Cody Glass and others coming up through the ranks, and you faced a four-game losing streak where your starting goalie that you gave a big contract to hasn't performed, and you fired your coach for it because of your gut, you should fire yourself because that's one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. And I've watched Mark Bergervan defend his own terrible seasons for six years now, and I still can't get over just how dumb that quote is. If you ever, in, if you, I were to invest like that and be like, I'm going to move all my stuff into this stock because my gut says it's time for it and it immediately blows up in your face. You should be mocked and banned from ever doing anything in that again. I, I just cannot understand what Vegas is doing. I hope the Sharks hire Gerard Gallant. I hope someone does. And I hope they beat Vegas and I hope they beat them so badly that Pete DeBoer literally returns to the Muppet land that he is from, and then that's the end of this. I was a little fired up about this today, apparently.
1: I honestly, we talked about it a little bit when it first happened. We were like, oh, you know, he should come back to Montreal and run the defense and improve the defense. But the reality of the situation is he's probably going to have his pick of teams. You know, he might as well even wait and see what happens in the off season. We're expecting that Minnesota is not going to renew um, Bruce Boudreau. There, there are so many teams that would need him. I think it'd be really funny if he ended up, I don't know, back in Florida, <laughs> but that's obviously, that's not going to happen. But I, you know, like the, the thing that this does though is it kind of makes me a little bit worried about Claude Julien's position because I do believe that out of all of the available options, he is one of the best coaches in the league. He has flaws. I'm not saying he's perfect. But, I, you know, Scott, I just sent you the um, the underlying numbers that Mark Dumont had listed for the Canadians, and they're actually extremely impressive. If you look at their win-loss record it doesn't it doesn't make sense but obviously the way that these things work is that you've got the way that you play and then you've got luck and luck is often uh based on goaltending and just you know whether or not you're able to shoot in your uh whether or not you're able to score when you shoot and so for me i'm like if if Vegas can just kind of like pull this. Like, is it going to make people here start talking? Is Mark Bergevin going to fire Chloe Julian to save his job? And then who are we going to end up with after that? It's, I, I truly like it. That's, that, that's what it made me nervous about. I think that the Canadians are a good team where they have like specific problems that they need to fix and coaching is not one of them.
0: Yeah, and I think that's something we're going to have to touch on a little bit more once the dust kind of settles going into the All-Star break. But we do have to change gears a little bit off of this. We have a guest for our third segment today. And for a programming note with this, we recorded this yesterday with Kelly Hinkle of Broad Street Hockey. And this is before we knew that Carter Hart was going to be out for two to three weeks. So there's a small segment where we talk about his play and everything, but that was recorded before we got the news about his injury. As a heads up, but the, uh, we'll get to our little sit down with Kelly about the Flyers in our final segment. So we're back with our final segment today, and joining us, we have a guest from one of the sister sites to Eyes on the Prize, at SB Nation, uh, Broad Street Hockey. Your place for all things Travis Connecty feelings and Philadelphia Flyers feelings. Kelly Hinkle is joining us. And Kelly, uh, why don't you tell us a little about yourself and what you do for Broad Street?
2: I am the deputy site manager for the site. So I make sure all the content goes up timely. I do the daily link dump for the site and have been doing that for a while. And I'm on our podcast, BSH Radio.
0: And you will actually be able to listen to Laura on BSH Radio. Uh, this week, I Laura will be actually a guest with it. Full disclosure, we're recording this before the actual Blackhawks games, and it's getting plugged into this episode, so I'm just going to pull back the curtain on that one. But we're uh, (laughs) very thankful to have uh, Kelly joining us to talk a little bit about the Philadelphia Flyers. And my number one question for all things here is, Kelly, why are the Flyers the way that they are?
2: I think that's one of those – like, theory of relativity questions, where if we ever actually solve that question, the Earth will simply implode on itself, and we will all cease to be. I have no idea why the Flyers are. They've been like this for my entire life. Up and down, and in the middle, never all the way up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I. <laughs> it's my favorite running joke in... Twitter about anyone's model that if if the Flyers are mind-numbingly average, then mm-hmm. your model is correct.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was reading Charlie O'Connor's article today, and he had a little segment in there about how the Flyers are once again perfectly middle-of-the-road average, and I got really mad because they were last year, too, and last year was horrible, and this year's <laughs> supposed to be fun, but somehow nothing's different.
0: It Great. sounds a lot like the Canadians this year. This year was supposed to be fun and things were going to be different. And <laughs> then they lost eight games twice over the course of the season in a row. And it's, it's, there's a lot of parallels between both teams. It feels like.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I feel so like from, that happens a lot. It's kind of nice. Sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say from your perspective,
1: the way that I look at the Habs is that there have been a lot of missed opportunities partly due to mismanagement and partly due to the Habs themselves not disciplining themselves well enough, uh, while they were playing very early in the season, they let a lot of points slide. So from your perspective, like what is it with the flyers this year?
2: You know, it's, it seems to be a combination of things. The biggest one in my mind is that the power play is atrocious. Um, so all year long, even when they were winning games, they're just leaving a ton of potential goals on the table because their power play is just completely ineffective. So I feel like they've probably dropped a lot of games they could have won simply because they didn't take advantage of the advantage that they were giving when the other team took a penalty. Um, that, and this team has no idea how to play hockey on the road... Um And when you play half the games on the road, it's kind of not great for the overall success of the season. So those are kind of the two things right now that I think are dragging the Flyers down. And the thing that makes it super frustrating is that every now and again we get a game like this Boston game where we see exactly what this team can do when it puts its nose down and starts working. And then they just stop doing it again.
0: So I have to ask, since you the Flyers, not you personally. I doubt you as a person would have hired Michel Terrien as a coach, but mm-hmm. what the hell were they thinking hiring Michel Terrien even as an assistant coach on this team after he bombed out in Montreal so badly? Who wh- hey, what part of the team is he running and is it malfunctioning as badly as I might imagine?
2: Oh, yes, he is running the power play. <laughs> and it is an absolute tire fire. And the most frustrating thing about it is that, like with most teams, I feel like the top power play unit is kind of an obvious choice of five guys that makes a lot of sense. And the Flyers have an obvious combination of five guys that makes a lot of sense as the top power play unit, and they just refuse to put that one back together. They're doing every possible combination of bodies except for the ones that make sense. And I don't understand why, and I also don't understand why they seem to be allowing this to go on for so long. Because it's been the entire season, there must be something going on here.
0: Michel Therrien being stubborn and hurting the team—that doesn't sound like him at all. I, for one, <laughs> am shocked that that is exactly shocked, what is going on. Shocked, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> it is very time.
1: shocking. Yeah, um, it, it's truly what's what is shocking though is that a guy like Elaine Vigno would want to bring him on because Elaine Vino seems to be. Uh, in in the in the last little while, has truly seemed to be like the kind of coach who's kind of adapting, especially like if you look at his tenure with the Rangers and then the difference between what he's been what he did there and what he's been doing in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Like, it just doesn't seem to me like he, you know what I mean? It's not a smart move. I don't know what he did. Like, I don't know why he made that decision, and I also don't know why Terryanne got assigned the power play.
2: I guess because Mike Yo made the most sense on the penalty kill, which has been really good. So I guess that's working. I mean, I guess, I guess the idea behind hiring two former head coaches to be your assistant coaches is that somehow, you know, ascending to that level now makes you one of the hockey men forever. So you're always going to be a head coach no matter what you do with yourself. Um, but then also like we've said a lot, if you're a, a bad head coach. At some point, you were a really, really good assistant coach because that's the only way you got moved up there. So I guess maybe there's some something behind that, but I don't know. It's we're halfway through the season now, and the power play has just been bad the whole way through. I don't know why Vino doesn't seem to be stepping in to make some kind of adjustments.
1: So the on the Canadian side their power play has gotten a lot better over the course of the season and mm. what what their issue was it was a little bit different than what you were saying like at the time they had the personnel that made the most sense it's just that their strategy like they had they, did, they didn't seem to have any ideas mm. and they've kind of changed it a little bit and and in the last few games we've seen Nick Suzuki on the power play And that's been a revelation. He's on the second unit and we're as a fan base and media lobbying to have him, um, you know, get minutes on the first unit. Mm. But at the same time, the penalty kill is not the Canadian strong suit still. It has shown improvement over the course of the season, but defensively they're still a bit scrambly. There's, I call them scrambly. I don't, I don't even know if that's a word, but I've used it a lot on this podcast to describe it. So I'm very curious to see in the game what happens with, like, when you have an abysmal power play up against a mediocre penalty kill, and then you have a power play that's not stellar but is slowly getting better running up against a really good penalty kill. Like, I'm very, very
2: curious to see what happens. But on the other
1: side... Oh, sorry, go on.
2: No, go on. I was just agreeing with you. (laughs) It'll be interesting to see what happens there.
1: Right. But on the other side, like at even strength, what do you think the, um, Canadians should do if they want to win this game?
2: So normally I think this is the place where I tell you that you can, you know, rely on the fourth line to make a lot of mistakes. And normally that kind of would be the case, but last night against Boston, um, well the other night against Boston, I should say, since we're in the future, um, the fourth line was one of the best lines on the ice all night. Connor Bunneman got his first goal, all that kind of stuff. So I would say that if you're going to exploit something on the Flyers, you could probably end up with a couple of shorthanded goals, the way this power play's been going. So it's almost like being down a man is having the man advantage <laughs> against the Flyers right now. So if the the Habs can have a, a really strong pressure penalty kill, they'll probably get a little lucky and at least get some chances on the Flyers power play.
0: So I know one of the big questions earlier in the year was, what the hell's wrong with Carter Hart? Has he kind of, you know, found his way back to being as good as he can, or there's still some bumps in the road that have been going on there?
2: I mean, I think it's, Fair to expect that with a goalie this young, you're going to have a fair number of bumps in his first full season. And we have had a fair number of bumps. There was a three or four game stretch at the start of the season where he was very bad and people were a little bit worried. Um, he's not been great on the road like the rest of the team, but he especially has been noticeably worse on the road. Um, but he does well at home consistently. And I think that this is just one of those things when you, when a team decides that they're going to go with a rookie goaltender, you kind of have to allow for this kind of growing pain, I think. So I don't think it's anything to be concerned about. He's certainly not lights out every night, but that that talent is still there most of the time. Um So he's usually good for one or two just outstanding saves a game, which is nice for us.
0: So we've got two teams kind of... Trying to figure out what the hell they are this year. The Flyers are obviously in a wild card spot last time I checked, I believe, correct?
2: I think they dropped out. Um, well, I think Florida is a point up
0: now. They are still closer than Montreal is to the playoffs <laughs> yeah, after yeah. that <laughs> losing streak. But anytime these teams play, it's all bets are kind of off. Kelly, before we go, do you have any predictions for this game?
2: I think it's going to be a fun one, actually. Um, the Flyers games at home have been a lot of fun. And I don't even mean that just from like a Flyers fans perspective, like from a hockey perspective, they've been fun games to watch. Um, so I think that with them coming home after a game like 19 hours prior in St. Louis, um, they might be a little bit worn down, but I think that they'll get up a bit for the home crowd and we should have a pretty good game. I think it'll be a tight game. Um, especially because you might end up getting Brian Elliott on the second half of a back-to-back because Carter Hart seems to have tweaked something in practice today, and I'm wondering if they'll sit him for a couple of games if they can. But anyway, that's a long way of saying. I think it's going to be a close, fun game, like a 4-2,
0: 3-2, that kind of thing. And just before we go now, Kelly, where can people find you and find your work in the interwebs and out and abroad?
2: Sure, if you want to uh, learn a little bit about the Flyers, you can head on over to broadstreethockey.com and check out what we're doing there. We have some good stuff. Um, if you like podcasts, Broad Street Hockey Radio is kind of a fun one, if you like that kind of thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I'm on Twitter, at Hanks, H-I-N-X. I would highly suggest that you do not follow me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Strongly disagree Uh, That will be it for our show. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. This means a lot. You took time out of your day for that. Yeah, it was fun. As always, you can follow Laura at The Active Stick. You can follow me at Scott Matlow. You can follow the podcast at LO underscore Canadians. And you can find us wherever you get your usual podcast: Google, Apple, Spotify. You know the spiel by now. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.